0: This is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and this is our podcast. To kick off the new year, we are looking at things that cause us to be triggered, things that cause us to get upset, that can ruin our day, our week, or even our year. They don't have to do that, so join us as we work at keeping our finances from triggering us. And all right, and so as they're collecting the offering, I'm just going to get started here on the message. This is our final message in the Triggered series. And uh, then next week, as I said, with our annual business meeting, I've got a message and it's kind of going to be our, excuse me, our vision for 2019. And it's just kind of, kind of set the tone of where we are going. And if you've been at any of the services recently or we're here on Wednesday night for our night of worship, you know, the theme is going to be kind of awake for this year. And so we're going to be talking about that uh, this coming Sunday. And then after that, starting the first week in February, we're going to do a uh, verse-by-verse study of the book of James on a Sunday morning. And so, um, this is something different. I've never really done a full book on a Sunday morning. We've done it on a Wednesday night before, but never on a Sunday morning. And so, this should be interesting to keep people engaged, to keep it relevant, and to yet get through this whole book. And so, that's where we're going to be heading, and that should take us at least until Easter. And by the way, winter has been going. Easter can't get here soon enough because I am ready for spring. It's supposed to be 37 tonight. What on earth? I thought we lived in Florida. Okay. Okay. And then, uh, like, we're supposed to have a couple of days, we're supposed to get back to 80, and then it's supposed to be like 60 for like eight straight days. That, no, don't cheer for that. That is so messed up, okay? That is so messed up. That's not why I live in Florida. All right. Okay, good. I got, I got at least one amen out of that. Well, anyway, so this week, our final message in this Triggered series is about finances. And... Some of you may be wondering why we are talking about finances. Well, listen to some information here that I found in doing some research for that. Of the top ten sources of stress in people's lives, financial stress of one form or another are three of the top ten reasons that people are stressed out. Okay? A big reason for divorce is financial stress, ranking second behind infidelity. It's the number one reason why couples fight in marriage. Financial triggers can lead to migraines, cardiovascular disease, insomnia, and depression. It also leads to overeating, smoking, alcohol use, and abuse, and others see finances has a huge impact on who we are as a people and can make a huge difference in our lives as to whether or not our finances are triggering us and so I believe that this was something vital that we needed to talk about and I know what this is like we know the stresses of financial triggers going on in your life always being stressed out because of where your money is at and so let me just tell you straight up and you're because some of you may be wondering well you don't have any financial stress the rumor that I heard this week that I make $10,000 a month is not true, okay? And that was a legit, that was a legit rumor, okay? Somebody actually thought that's how much money I made, $10,000 a month. That's crazy, okay? I don't make anywhere near or close to that. I would take it if I was offered it, Uh, I'm not going to lie, but I don't make anywhere close to that. But there were times this year where we've looked at our bank account and pulled out every, who uses a mobile banking app? This is the greatest invention. I love my mobile bank. I can deposit checks on my phone now. I mean, it's just so cool. But anyways, I hardly ever go to the bank. Um, but anyways, here's the deal. You know, we've had times where we could not spend a dollar until one of us got a paycheck in, the, in recent times. There's been times where I've told Dana that if you need gas, Ten bucks is your limit. Do not spend money on anything else. There was one time our account recently had $2.85 in it. And some months you play that balancing game of can you schedule or get the bill timed right to go with your paychecks. Anybody else live there, been there, or done that? Yes. I think many of us can feel this. And there was even one time that I got up in the morning, and thankfully I get up early enough, I logged into my bank account and it had a negative number in there. Well, fortunately, I had enough cash in my wallet. I had some cash in my wallet. I ran to the ATM, deposited the money before the business day started, so I didn't get an overdraft fee. But this time of the year, the stress seems more real because we all just got done overspending at Christmas time, okay? We spent money we didn't have to buy awesome gifts so that six months from now our kids would have no idea what we got them for Christmas, right? Can anyone else relate to that? And with us living in that situation, Jesus. Has some advice for us this morning in regards to our finances. And I've said this before, but it's good to repeat, and that is that Jesus talked about money more than any other subject except the kingdom of God. It was actually his most, second most popular preaching subject. If I were to talk about money as much as Jesus did, I would have to preach 17 messages a year on money. How many of you want 17 messages a year on money? People leave the church when you give them one message a year on money. So they would really hate Jesus. But there's a reason for that. The reason is that money and finances have power in our lives. It's one of those areas of life that we'll make decisions about without praying about them whatsoever because we think we know more than what God could possibly know in our situation because really if you read the Bible, sometimes Jesus or God gives people some really crazy financial advice. And money can capture our heart like nothing else. It tells us in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one And love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And if you have a church background, I'm sure you've heard that verse many times, but the question is, do we really understand what Jesus is saying here? And the reason that I ask that is because when we think of serving things, we think of maybe somebody like serving and worshiping Satan, or somebody having all these idols in their house that they serve, or, or we think of stuff like that, you know, serving sex, drugs, alcohol, but when it comes to money, we think that money serves us, but for many people, This is not true. Instead, we serve money. How do I figure that? Because money dictates how we make a lot of decisions in our life. Okay? It determines how we make a whole lot of decisions in our life. And because of that, it's one of those things that can take somebody's walk with Jesus and push it into the ground and destroy it faster than many other things. And it's because, I mean... Oh, dang. And I had this this picture that I wanted to put up, and I completely forgot to put it in the file that I gave to Chris. I'm so mad. All right, so picture Satan, okay? I had this legit picture of Satan that I was going to put up there. All right, he looked really scary, really intimidating. And anyway, so I was going to ask you the question, if that thing showed up at your house and knocked on the door and opened it and said, serve me, most of us in this room would look at that and go either I don't think so or run the other way screaming right? But if this same being and creature was holding millions of dollars in $20 bills most of us wouldn't even notice Satan standing behind him we'd see all the green and we'd be like oh yeah that's what I'm talking about right there show me the money. See Jesus knows that money has that power over our lives. He knows that it can take us very far from God very fast, and that's why he talked about it so much. This is why, um, of all the things that we can serve, he mentioned money so much because he knew that where our wallet is at, our heart would follow. And money is something that can trigger us on both on a spiritual as well as a personal level. So this morning, we're going to start in the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 28 through 30, to help get us in a place where money cannot be such a trigger in our lives. And if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn to Luke 14. If you don't have one or don't have any idea where it's at, it'll be on the screen behind me. And uh, this is what it says. It says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish so there's a bunch of thoughts going through my head right here but Jesus, what's he doing here, okay? He's out on the road, okay? He's traveling around. He's, he's speaking to all these crowds. And with each city that he goes to, with each crowd that he talks to, more and more people start to follow behind him and go where he's going and listen to what he's saying. And because he's got such large crowds of people, Jesus starts doing stuff. He starts multiplying food to feed them. And he starts touching their lives and, and speaking words and healing them and, and setting them free from demonic oppression And Jesus is doing all kinds of supernatural, super powerful things in these people's lives. And he's giving them hope. And that is the reason why suddenly Jesus goes from this little tiny crowd following him to this huge crowd following him throughout the countryside. In the midst of the gathering of this large crowd around him, Jesus felt the need to let them know that following him is more than just getting your needs met. It's more than just hanging out with the Son of God. He lets them know that they really need to think through the decisions that they are making, especially in regards to following him. He is telling them, look, it's time to sit down and count the costs. Now, for him, on a spiritual level, in a spiritual place, what he was saying there was, you know what, following me is going to be very costly to you, and so you need to count the costs of that. But what he's also saying on a practical level is that in our life, when we look at our lives and our situations, even when it comes to our finances, we have to be people who can stop and count the costs before we go and spend the money. Because how do we do a lot of spending these days? And I hate this about car dealerships because they are the worst. But what's the question they ask you when you're looking for a car? Does anybody know? How much of a monthly payment can you afford? See, that's the wrong question. See, what that does is it allows him to maximize the amount of car he sells you regardless of whether or not it's wise. Instead, we should be looking at the Overall cost of the car, because that's what we're actually counting, is the overall cost of the car, not the monthly payment. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. I mean, how many of you had seen that building? I can't even remember what it's called. It's on I-4. It's north of Orlando. It's this big blue, huh? The I-4 Eyesore is what, yeah, the nickname that it has. But homeboy started to build an office tower before he had done what Jesus had said to do here. And like literally the building, it sat there for like 19 years with nothing being done because the guy could not afford to do any more work on it until about six months ago he finally got more money and was able to finish off the building. See, back in those days when Jesus was speaking, there wasn't opportunity to finance things. And so the crowd that he was speaking to when it came to purchasing something, what they actually had to do was get out their wallet, count how much money they have in here, I've got seven dollars in my wallet, you know, count how much money they had in there and figure out if they were going to be able to do it. They had their li- to live their life on something that is called a budget. And if your finances are a trigger in your life, this would be the first place to start. I would challenge you to sit down with your bills and create a budget because the first step in figuring out how to fix things is to figure out what the problem is. And so if you're saying, well, how do I do that? How do I create a budget? You determine where your money is going. And so the first month in the budget process, you sit down, track all of your income as well as where you spend every single penny that goes out of your account. You have to track every penny or it won't work. Once you know where everything is going, then you need to say, okay, my income is this, and I have some fixed expenses, housing, student loans, car payment. You put those items on your budget, then you have to look at how you spend the rest of your money. And so if you're taking in more every month than you're spending, the first thing that would be to look at those areas that you have, quote-unquote, discretionary spending. You know, are you spending five or $600 a month going out to eat? Well, if you're doing that and you're going over and you're spending more than comes in every month, the first thing you need to do is look at that area and say to yourself, hey, maybe I shouldn't go out to eat. I need to cut that down and not spend as much money. Other people spend hundreds of dollars a month on clothing and shoes, and so maybe that's what needs to be cut down in order to make ends meet each month. If you can't afford cable, get rid of it. You know what? Life does not end when the cable is cut. We have not had cable in our house for years because it is so overpriced and we cannot afford it. And I know it's not always fun to make those decisions because at the water cooler at work, you may not be able to talk about the TV show that everybody else was watching on HBO when you're standing there. But isn't the stress of not worrying about whether or not you can pay your bills this month worth more than somebody saying, oh, how come you didn't catch that show? We have to be able to say no to ourselves many times and, and work through these things and uh, uh, set a budget and say no. And then when we can get to that place, we're going to see our triggering go less, become less because of our finances. Dane and I have had to have a budget for years. I have a spreadsheet and track every penny that comes in and goes out each month. I have a set budget for everything, and we spend our money—that uh, we spend our money on, including gas, eating out, food from the grocery store. I know that we cannot just spend whatever we want to on food and go out to eat whenever we feel like it. And when we reach that budget amount on some things, we just can't spend any more. And some of you are thinking, "Well, I'm going to be triggered if I can't spend my money where I want to, why I want to, and how I want to." Well, the deal is, is that nobody really can live their lives that way. We discussed that a few weeks ago, and I really find it more stressful when I can't make a bill payment, and I know I'm going to get late charges and other fees because I wasn't able to make that payment. That's far more stressful to me than a, a $25 meal at a restaurant. If you really want to eliminate this trigger in your life, then it's going to involve you making tough decisions by creating a budget living within your budget and saying no to things that you want but your income and expenses say you can't have. That's also what Jesus was just saying in those verses that we just read. We need to examine the costs and make sure we pay attention to what we are spending so that we can eliminate or at least minimize being triggered each month when it comes to our finances. And see, budgeting is a wise thing to do with our money. And that's what Jesus has called us to be. He has called us to be wise with the money that he has entrusted us with here on this earth. Moving a little bit further ahead in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 16 verses 1 through 13 makes this very point in this parable. This is a story with a lesson that Jesus tells us. And so I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 13 of Luke chapter 16 and it says this. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot manage any lo- you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called on each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe your master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the main point here is this. If we're not wise with the worldly wealth that we are given, we're actually only hurting ourselves. Not only are we hurting ourselves when we are not wise with the wealth that we are given, but we're also cutting ourselves off from other blessings in our life as well. What are those other blessings? We don't know what those other blessings are. He just lets us know in the text that there's other blessings that are available to those who are wise with their worldly wealth here on this earth. And that could include more financial blessings in our lives. So not being wise with what God has given us can be a cap. It can be a barrier to God's blessing to us Financially. So budget your money and approach finances that you have with wisdom. And when we do that, we are going to see the stress and anger in our finances diminish. Another thing Jesus tells us about money is to avoid financing things and paying interest on things as much as possible. Some people think that the Bible forbids loaning money and charging interest. It does not. It is not sinful to finance things, but Scripture does not encourage it either. Proverbs 22.7 lets us know the rich rule over the poor. The borrower is a slave to the lender. So the bower, borrower, that's a hard word to say, is slave to the lender. As long as you owe someone money, you're in debt to them. And the work and the job that you are doing... You are actually not doing for yourself and your own benefit. You are doing to pay them off. And that's basically the definition of a slave there. You work so you can pay them your money. Instead of being able to spend your money um, the way you want to, you have to give it to someone else that you borrowed it from. Now, I know that in some situations and circumstances we have to borrow money, okay? But it's not as necessary as we think it is. Yes, if we want to buy a house, for most of us, we have to get a mortgage to pay for the house. But there are many things that we finance that we could either finance a whole lot less or we shouldn't do it at all. One of my favorite things is that to talk about is a car. Now, the best option with a car is if you can pay cash for it and buy it without having to finance it. But that's not always the case. I understand that. We just It's hard to save because some cars are just not reliable. Like we've got, we have got—we bought our daughter a uh, $2,400 car a year and a half ago and the head gasket's already blown on it. Maybe if we had spent more money, the car, we'd, we'd still have a running car. But now we have to go and get another car, okay? And so, so sometimes you get what you pay for when it comes to your vehicles. But we've got to be careful in financing cars that we just don't go crazy because a lot a lot of people just walk into the car dealership they get that they want that brand new car brand new car is the worst financial or one of the worst financial investments you can make period why is that because as soon as you drive off the lot it's devalued by thousands of dollars it's far more wise to go in and find a used car that's maybe a year or two old that's already been through the devaluing process and pay what it's worth rather than paying thousands of dollars more and being stuck with this vehicle that's not worth as much as you owe on it. Student loans are another one that I would avoid as much as possible because they never seem to go away. You guys know this story. I've mentioned it many times. I graduated with my master's degree in 2003. Guess how much my student loan bill has gone down since graduation. It's gone up. I like owe $2,000 more than I owed in 2003. Part of that's because I can't afford to pay it back and so I'm having to keep put the thing in deferment until I make more money. We were given this advice at college that if if God was calling me to ministry, then he would take care of this for me. The exact words were this, if it's God's will, it's God's bill, and he will take care of it. So as I'm standing here this morning owing more money than I owed when I graduated, I'm beginning to wonder if it was God's will because he sure ain't paying the bill. It was the worst piece of advice I was ever given, instead of taking out a loan, I should have gotten a job while I was working as well, but paid for school, went part time, applied for grants and scholarships, done anything I could to avoid the student loan. Taking a ton of student loan debt is dumb. We've already told our kids this. We told them to learn from our mistakes. Now, there are some things that you should absolutely never finance, okay? A vacation. Too many people ring up vacations, a weekend at Disney, a cruise, a few days in the mountains, a weekend at South Beach, or even going out to eat, and they put it all on their credit card, worry about paying it later. That's really, really dumb. I know, because I've done it. In 1991, before I was a Christian, a friend of mine and I decided we were going to go to Hawaii for spring break. My part of the trip was about $2,500. That was everything except for food. I thought, I'll just put it on my credit card and pay it off over the next year. Well, I didn't pay that off until the year 2000. Nine years of interest. This trip to Hawaii probably ended up costing me more than 10 grand. Was it worth it? Absolutely not. I could have used the money for other things. Dana and I put our first furniture set on a credit card. That was paid off about three years ago. Unfortunately... The furniture broke down and got thrown out in 2006. So we were paying for furniture we didn't have for seven years. What a waste. If we want to avoid our finances being a trigger, we have to avoid stupid decisions like that. We need to say to some things that are just not worth a long-term bill, we just need to say no to them. We have spent a lot, I can't even guess how much, paying for things over the long haul that have ended up bringing financial stress and months where we, were both tri- we are both triggered because of what our bank account says. Man, you don't need that type of vacation. I don't need that type of vacation. We don't need a new couch that bad. Your sanity and avoiding those angry outbursts every month is worth more than anything you will get in return. So the question becomes, well, what happens if I've done that? First, pray and ask Jesus for help and wisdom. Create a budget. Figure out where you can make cuts in your spending so you can pay off the vacation, bedroom set, or six months of Texas Cattle Company meals. Then a third thing that Jesus would tell us to help us with our finances is to give. I'm sure some of you, because I wasn't looking up, rolled your eyes when you heard that or maybe even said, here we go, church, all about the money. Let me go to the words of Jesus here for a minute. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then Paul writing to the church in Corinth told them this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And they both have the same point, and that's this. If we want good things to happen in our finances, if we want the stress, anger, and triggering in our finances to be reduced, we need to be givers. Now, in saying that, that does not mean... That once you start giving money, your financial problems are over. As a matter of fact, and I know this will bother some people, but you will start giving, and what will actually happen is your financial situation will become worse. It will become difficult. It will become challenging. And you'll say to yourself, why am I doing this? I could use this money at other places other than giving it to God and his work and his kingdom. See, this thing has a name to it. And what this name is, is it's called a faith test. A faith test is where God says, okay, you are trusting me. Let's see if that's true. I'm going to shake things up a little bit and see if you respond in faith. How many of you, since the fast has started, have seen these things happen in your life where suddenly you're fasting, everything's going good for a couple of days, and all of a sudden this faith test comes into your life? And starts to try and shake you up and mess you up and get you off track and make you say, you know what made me feel better? A cheeseburger from McDonald's. Ice cream, there we go. A cupcake. Anything. Anything. We know who's fasting sweets on the other side of the room. All right. It's a faith test. And how that looks in our finances is that we'll say, okay, God, you know what? I'm going to commit to giving, whatever it is. Whatever makes you cheerful, and you're going to give that. And then suddenly, your car will break down. Suddenly, you'll need to repair something in your house. Something crazy will happen that will put a strain on your financial situation. And the test will be do we continue to trust God and give what he asks us to give or will we stop to try to cover the expenses that just hit us? And I guarantee you that test will probably trigger you because you're just like, for the love, I'm trying to do things right and here we go again. But how we respond to the test and how we respond to that situation is going to help define us and put us in a place in the future, where those tests, where the finances cannot be such a, will not be such a trigger in our life. And trusting God works. I've experienced this on multiple occasions. A couple of years ago, we brought Ashley in for her orthodontist appointment. And they told us she needed an additional $1,800 in dental work before her next appointment in two months. Okay, I didn't have $1,800 sitting around in a bank account to pay for uh, this. Uh, she needed all four of her wisdom teeth taken out. And, um, and, and But I did the math, and if I had stopped giving for six or eight weeks, I could have covered this $1,800 that was here. I could have made at least a deposit on the, on, the, on the thing so that I would have had a smaller balance to take care of. But instead of doing that, I prayed and continued to give, and just in time, like literally the week before, we miraculously got $1,800 given to us that we were able to use to get Ashley's dental work done. The same thing happened with the repair that needed to be made to our minivan. This one I was going to put on a credit card because we both needed cars running. But just as the repair needed to be made, the money came in for the repair. Now, it doesn't always happen this way. There's been times where it hasn't happened this way. There have been times that I've just not had the money and I've had to keep going, keep trusting, keep believing that God had my back even though what I needed never came in. But this is the deal. There'll be rough spots. There'll be times, um, there were times this year that I didn't think we were going to make it or we thought we were going to have to miss a payment or get a second job, but when those times approached, we never stopped giving to Jesus. And a matter of fact, we gave more. We continued to increase our missions giving even though our bank account balance was telling us not to. And even though... Even though it was tough, even though it was challenging, even though it was crazy, God continued to see us through each and every single one of those situations. And this is the deal that I believe. If you really want your finances to not be a trigger in your life, you need to take all of the pieces of this puzzle and put them together and operate your finances, operate your money like that. Put it on a budget, put your money on a budget, be wise, be wise in how you spend and where you put your money, Um, don't do stupid financial things and finance things that shouldn't be financed, and then finally just give to God, and I believe that as we do that and as we live that out in our life, our finances are not going to be as much of a trigger for us. And so in closing today, this may seem a little bit weird, but I want to talk about Jesus for a second because we've mentioned him and his plan and his purpose for his finances, but we've never talked about who Jesus is. And here's the deal. Jesus came because there was this sin that separated us from God, causing our lives to be disconnected and lived without him. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we like sheep have gone astray and each one of us turned to his own way. But we needed this sin gone. And Jesus provided the way to eternally reconnect us to God through his death. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He also said this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still separated from God by sin, Christ died for us. He stands there at the door knocking, hoping we will hear his voice so that he can come into our lives and set us free from the sin that is there, that surrounds us, that binds us up, that keeps us from living the way God has called us to live. And all it takes to reestablish that relationship or to establish this relationship with Jesus, to break down the barrier between us and God that sin brought into the world, is to go to Jesus and just ask Jesus to forgive us and to wash us and to cleanse us. And when we do that, Jesus comes and he cleanses us from all sin. And he restores our relationship to God. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then finally, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is here in this place, if there's anyone in this room who has not given their lives over to Christ, you see the separation that you have between you and God, and you're saying to yourself, man, I want that separation torn down, I want this relationship with God restored. Once again, he's here, and he's able to do that today. So I'm just going to ask for everyone to close your eyes and bow your head, and I'm just going to, we're going to pray. And if that's you this morning, if you're saying to yourself, I want this Jesus in my life, all you got to do is just say, Jesus, come into my life. That's all you got to do. You just got to ask him that you just, you got to tell him that you just want him to, and he'll come in, he'll set you free from sin and, uh, and he'll restore your relationship to God. It's just a matter of you asking. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church Podcast. Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.